So on that note, how many people are ready for the word? All right. I'm excited. Let's get into our Bibles in the book of James chapter 1. James chapter 1, and we will read verses 21 through 25. James writes this, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Those are some powerful, potent words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask you that you would speak to us, minister to us. Come and be with us, God, and help us to see all the things that you want us to see. Sift us. Show us things that are in us, God, that you potentially want to run out of our lives, that we might be improved in our work for you. Add things to us tonight as we open ourselves up to be vessels, God, ready for your infilling. I pray that you would speak through me and allow me to just share the truth that you want me to share. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Well, before we get into our sermon title and the meat of our message, I want to introduce you to James for a moment. You may or may not be aware of this, but James was actually the brother of Jesus. We know from the scriptures that when Jesus was walking the earth, that his brothers and especially James did not believe that he was the Messiah. They did not accept Jesus as the Son of God. Scriptures tell us that. Later, after Jesus was resurrected, James was one of the first people that Jesus appeared to in resurrection form, and G James went on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He, he went on to fulfill a very prominent role in the body of Christ after Jesus was resurrected. So the message in that story there to all of us who are siblings is make sure you listen to your older brother. I'm just kidding. I'm the oldest of four in case you were wondering there. But the point is, is James didn't see Jesus for who he was at first, but he did later go on to accept him as the Messiah and in turn, James fulfilled an incredibly important role in the body of Christ. That tells me that as long as we are on this earth, God is never done with us. <laughs> there is always hope for a fresh beginning and a fresh work in anyone. You might be praying for someone right now that you know and love. Continue to pray for them. There is always hope while there is still breath in our lungs. James uh, ended up going on to be martyred. So he died for his faith. That tells me that he wasn't just a weak Christian. 
that he was a man of principle and conviction, that his faith ran deep to the point that he was even willing to lose his own life to stand up for his faith. This particular epistle that James gives us in the scripture, he is writing during a time of intense persecution. The church in Jerusalem is being persecuted severely. Many are dying for their faith. And James's letter, his epistle, is one that is well known for uh, being a, a kind of a call, if you will, to genuine, authentic Christianity. He says in these passages we opened up with, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. And that's going to be our title for our message here today is be a doer. Be a doer. In fact, why don't you ask yourself the question as we go along through the sermon, am I a doer? James makes this indication that you can be a hearer, but not also a doer at the same time. He makes a significant contrast. I'm going to draw some important points out of our verses here. And the first one, if you're taking notes, is doers versus hearers. Doers versus hearers only. He says you can be a hearer only and not actually do something with that. Paraphrasing, maybe putting it in modern day language, you can be all talk and no action. You know, there's a lot of people who are preaching a good game, quick to point out the changes that other people need to make. Meanwhile, there is very little happening within their self, themselves. And James is saying there's, a, there's an important distinction that we need to make, and that is that you would not only hear the Word of God, but it, it, it would translate into action, more importantly, a changed life and lifestyle. And folks, I just want to tell you, that is one of the most important and powerful things of the gospel, is that it has the power not only to convict, but it has the power to transform. And when the gospel penetrates our heart and genuinely gets in there, what James is trying to say is that change in our lives as a result of the gospel affecting us, those two things really are inseparable. And he's trying to challenge those who are acting like they're being entertained or hearing the words, but there's nothing that's really transferring into their lives. We know that that's a, a dangerous place for Christians to be in, but it's also of great consequence to those who are unbelievers because they see people who submit or ascribe to a certain belief system, yet their lives look no different than the rest of the world. And James is saying here, and I, I think this is just as relevant of a message today, he's saying we need authentic Christianity. We need changed and transformed lives to be the evidence and fruit all around the world that God's word can truly transform us. And, and a bland Christianity, a, a salt with no flavor, simply will not get the job done. He says you can hear but not be a doer. In fact, there's a difference in just hearing things, 
noise that's around us versus listening to what's actually being said. How many people have ever been, you know, in a big sports stadium for an event, right? A game, something fun, maybe a show, a concert. Well, if you've been in a stadium with lots of people, you know that you can hear tons of noise, all kinds of voices filling the air, shouts and screams. It would be accurate to say, I can hear the noise, but I'm not really listening to what all of these people are saying. And we can hear things that are being spoken from the Word of God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're listening and allowing those things to penetrate our hearts. It can be like white noise oftentimes that's resulting in no measurable change in our lives. And James is saying that's not the genuine, authentic impact that the Word of God is meant to make. I think he's almost challenging the listeners and even saying, I wonder if, there's real, if Jesus has really even got a hold of your heart. If there's no change that's happening. Because for James, a changed lifestyle and hearing the Word of God are inseparable. He's saying, I'm, just, I'm, I'm challenging you in this particular area. We know he says in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And then James, this is really powerful, he says, but I will show you my faith by my works. So think about this for a second. It makes perfect sense. If the word of God really is penetrating our hearts, it's convicting us, it's resulting in change, then there ought to be evidence to others in our world around us that that word has actually got in there. That's what he's trying to say. My, I'll show you my faith by my works. The evidence of what's happening on the inside of me can actually be seen on what's taking place outwardly in my life. We know that Faith is how we come to God, but I could say it this way, works, our, our good works, our changed lives is the evidence that we got there. It really is. Think about if you are in love with Jesus when he first rescued your heart. And I think for myself, I made radical changes. There were so many things in my life that changed immediately and other things that changed gradually over time. But I simply was just not okay remaining in the place that I was. The gospel had changed me. It had rescued my heart. I, I wasn't the same man and I could not remain in the state that I was before with the things of my life that were not acceptable or pleasing to Jesus. I could tell you that the desire to do things that were opposed to God began to leave me, and the desire to do things that pleased Him filled my heart. 
That was a result of the word getting in and actually bringing that kind of change in my life. He says, if you're a hearer only and not a doer of the word, this is powerful. He said, you're deceived. If you think that you're just hearing the words of God, the, the gospel, and nothing is changing in your life, he says, you're, you're actually deceived. The word is not really doing what it's meant to do in you. You've not allowed it to bring the kind of change and transformation. I also find it remarkable that he says, be a doer. Think with me on this one. He doesn't just say do, he says be a doer. To do is just an action. I could do an action today and not do an action tomorrow, and it wouldn't be consistent in my life. He says be a doer, which actually addresses the character and the behavior of the individual. I don't want you to just do something once. I want you to become a doer of what the Word of God is compelling us to do, the ways of God that are leading us to please Him and serve Him with all of our lives. The second point here I want to make is he tells us to look in the mirror, but he likens the Word of God to a mirror. Well, we know that when we stand in front of a mirror, it reflects back to us the truth of what we look like, doesn't it? Now, come on, go with me here for a second. How many have ever looked in the mirror, and when it reflects back to you what's really there, you didn't necessarily like what you saw? Can we agree on that? Like, a mirror sometimes shows us things that we don't want to see. You ever been in a department store and you're trying on clothes, and the mirrors just make you look fabulous, don't they? I mean, I think sometimes those mirrors are stretched out a little bit. They thin people down. I mean, they know what they're doing, right? There are some mirrors that can be a little misleading at times. But let me encourage you with something. This word right here is a mirror that will reflect the real you, the real me, back to us more authentically and more genuinely than any individual perspective or opinion we could ever get, ever will. That's why James is saying, you need to view this word of God as a mirror that you gaze into so that it can show you what's really there. Sometimes we don't want to look in the mirror. We don't want to go and stand in front of it and see what we are going to see. But the point is, if we want all God has for us, we need to be willing and quick to come to this living word and let it peer into our soul. The Bible tells us that this word is so sharp and penetrating that it can actually even sift through and discern the difference between our thoughts and the intentions of our heart. It compares that to the division of joint and marrow, bone and marrow, which is almost impossible to determine where one stops and where one starts. That tells me that this word is precision. It's surgical in its ability to inspect me, reveal 
what's going on in me and what needs to be shaken and what needs to be changed. This is my measuring post, my plumb line for my life is God's word. He says, it's like a mirror and you'll never see yourself more clearly than when the word of God is able to read you. You see, we read the word of God definitely, but the word of God reads us too, doesn't it? Can I get an amen from anybody on that? It might be painful sometimes to look in the mirror, but I want to encourage you, be quick to do it because any change that we see needs to be made and brought is always going to be for our good and for our benefit. The word convicts us It shows us the things that need to be sifted. But listen, when we see where those changes need to happen in our life, where we're not living consistently with what God's Word tells us to do, we get convicted by that. Can we be thankful for that? Can we be thankful that God allows us to see the things in us that are not good for where He wants us to go, where He wants to take us. But listen, we don't get overwhelmed and weighed down with a guilt complex about those changes that need to be made. I mean, somebody can, I suppose, many people do. But the truth of the Word is that it's so potent and so powerful that the same power that's in the living Word to convict us and compel us to change and live like God wants us to. Listen to me. It also has the power to bring the change. Because the word is transformational. So we don't need to feel overwhelmed with a guilt complex when we see, oh, these are areas of my life that need to change. We need to get excited. God's ready to get rid of something so that he can add something. And the power to bring that change and transformation actually lies in the exact same word that just revealed that to me. Oh, I love that about God. He provides everything that we would need to be dependent upon Him and then fulfill the life that He's called us to live. The last thing that I will point out here, number three, if you're taking notes, He talks about in these few verses. There's some powerful few verses, aren't they? He says that you need to receive with meekness the implanted Word. He calls it implanted, which another word you could use for that is engrafted. So that means that the Word of God actually gets in us so effectively that it becomes a part of us. Engrafted means to intertwine and become a part of something. So at our house, Katie and I, we have, uh, we started out with just a couple of little blackberry bushes in our front yard. And we planted them a few years ago. And we don't do very well with gardening and plants. Most things die, actually. But these blackberries have managed to flourish. And they've sprouted and grown up, and they've spread out, and they've become very uh, fruitful every single year. And we had to build trellises to help train the branches and where to go. And then more and more uh, bushes started to come out of the ones that were already there. They, they reproduce. 
And so we build more trellises, and then they fill in the trellises, and they just begin to intertwine and grow into everything that we set out there for it. And the Word of God comes to us, listen to me, in seed form. The Word of God is seed. It comes to us in seed form. But the intention is for that seed to get planted and then to become a part of us and then grow and then intertwine and affect every area of our lives to the point where it's impossible to remain unchanged. I think that's what James is trying to say. Say, if the Word of God is really getting in you, it's impossible for you to stay the same way that you were. It can't, because when it gets in you, then it begins to grow and intertwine every area of your life and fill it in, and all those areas of your life begin to be affected and influenced by the very truth and power of that word that's got in you. You see, the gospel demands a changed life. It really does. It does not permit us to remain the same. James isn't saying I suggest that you be a doer of the word. He's really saying you must be a doer of the word. There's not another option. You must be a doer of the word. And if we really understand how powerful the word is and how effective it is to bring the kind of changes in our life that we need, folks, we would be quick to allow the Word of God to confront our hearts and our lives to show us the changes that we need to make. Not reluctant or avoidance mentality, but quick to go to the Word and allow it to confront our hearts. I love King David. He had such a pure heart. The Bible says he had a heart for the Lord. We know that. He said things like, Lord, would you just would you examine my heart? Would you expose any iniquity, God, that's in me? Would you reveal it to me? You see, David even understood, I can't even sift myself. I can't even judge myself. I need the living, perfect, holy God to look in me and at me and reveal the things I can't even see in my natural eyes. And that's what the Word of God, God brings to us to be able to do. Jesus himself said, forsake the world and follow me. I mean, Jesus puts it out there right away. He, he says, look, in order to follow me, you're going to have to leave some things behind. There are going to be changes in your life that need to happen, that should happen if you're walking with Jesus. I don't know how, how you pack for vacations and go out of town or go places, but Katie always jokes around with me because I like to pack and be prepared. So there's always more there than what I end up needing, but I don't like to get somewhere and be missing something. So I end up usually putting a lot more that's in there. And, uh, and I bring a whole bunch of stuff along. But what's funny is Jesus didn't say, hey, Follow me and grab as many things as you can and carry and bring them along and then come follow me. 
He said, forsake the entire world. So folks, our heart really needs to be one that says, Lord, if, if you reveal something in my life or lead me to take up something new that's of you that I'm not doing, then my heart is that I have a genuine desire to do that, to obey, to let things be moved out of my life and to bring new things into my life, all that align with what this word is telling me to do. Jesus says, forsake the world in order to follow me. He also says, James does, to receive the implanted word. To receive means to welcome, to be joyful and have a joyful reception for. You know, I whether the word confirms something I'm doing right or whether the word shows me something I'm doing wrong, I, I, I need to be a welcoming reception to whatever that truth is either way. That's truly where my heart is. I think so many people, they like the Word of God when it lines up with their will, but they like to dismiss the Word of God or avoid it when it confronts their will, potentially, that's not right. I know a lot of people that want to continue on in certain relationships and ungodly ways that they know could be harmful and destructive that the Bible clearly indicates things that are not right until marriage. So many things like that, that people say, well, when they hear the Word of God, there's an avoidance around that. When the truth aligns with their will, it's great, but when it confronts their will being different than God's, what will we do with that? Will we, as James says, receive it with meekness? Because he says to receive it with meekness is the key to it getting implanted in our hearts. You know, meekness is just another way of saying being humble. It's to receive it with humility. And humility is the key. It's saying, whatever God brings me in this word, it's good for me. In fact, there's a recognition in our own lives that apart from the word, and apart from God, we can't do it on our own. We can't. Our hope is not in ourselves. It's in the life-changing, transformational power of Jesus Christ and the good news of His gospel. To see the things that we need to potentially change or new things we need to step into in our lives and recognize that we can't do that on our own? Folks, that should not be a, a reason to drive us into a guilt complex. That should be a great sign of hopefulness that we are dependent upon God to lead us through those things that He is inviting us into. We shouldn't get down. We should get excited because whatever God's asking us to do, He wants to equip us and help us to be able to carry that out. To come to the realization that we can't on our own. Well, that's precisely what the Word is designed to show us. We need Jesus for everything. And when we welcome Him and His Word and His instruction, 
with a humble heart that's soft and tender, guess what? That seed can really get in. If that heart is hard, calloused, it's much more difficult for that seed to penetrate and begin to get rooted and be implanted and actually start to grow and produce fruit. That humility is so important in our lives and leads to us welcoming and inviting a joyful reception at the truth of God's Word, no matter what it is that it's leading us to do, because there's faith and hope that it's always going to be for our good. He says we must lay aside any sin or anything in our lives that is blocking the Word from getting in there. See, there's times where there's sin and baggage, things in our life that we're carrying around. And he, he says that can be like a hindrance, a, a block to the seed, the word, the truth getting in there. That meekness is what leads us to ask for forgiveness, to being willing to admit we're wrong. Oh, Jesus, I see your way, and it's a better way. My way wasn't the right way. Would you forgive me, Lord? Instead of hanging on and digging our heels in, I gotta, I'm going to keep it my way. Say, no, be quick to throw that stuff off. Lay it aside. Shed that outer layer. And let God dust that off so that he can do something new. Many times the greatest breakthroughs in our lives are right on the other side of us being willing to let go of something that needs to die. That's a sign of humility and meekness in our heart. And encouragement that the Word of God is so potent and so powerful that it can search us, it can convict us, it can compel us, and it even gives us the power to be able to make the changes that we need to make. And when that comes to us in seed form, and it gets in our heart, it gets planted, it begins to grow up strong and mature over seasons in our lives. And then the fruit begins to abound from what the truth of that word is now producing because we've allowed it to mature in us. You see, if I stood up here today and I had a handful of a bunch of seeds and I showed those to you, I would be right if I said the potential for a garden is in every one of these seeds. There's potency in there. There's the potential for life bringing capacity in those seeds. But if I showed you the seeds in my hand and I said, look at my garden, <laughs> you'd probably laugh at me or call me crazy. One of the two. But the reality is, is every one of those seeds, if they're able to be planted, if they're able to grow and mature, do you know what? The capacity for a fruit-bearing garden actually lies within every single one of those. That's pretty powerful. And there's a big difference in us having the word come to us in seed form 
and us allowing that to get planted into our hearts in such a way that it can grow and become mature. When it becomes mature, it strengthens and edifies all the areas of our lives. Our relationships are improved by the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God that's growing and maturing in us. Our family life, our vocation, all across the board. You see, the Word of God comes to bring change in every part of who we are, not just a few particular areas. And I think that's what James is trying to confront. I think that's what he's trying to say to the church. It's time to be a doer, not just a hearer of the Word. Because if you're only hearing, then you're deceived. We are in a time of persecution and great challenge. We need authentic, genuine, potent Christianity. Lives transformed. Evidence of fruitfulness. Not a bunch of people preaching a big game, but a bunch of people living out transformed lives. He says, when you do that, when you allow the word to do that, this is what I love. He says, it's a blessing to you. I have found that to be true in my life. When the word confronts me, is it sometimes tough to hear? Absolutely. But my desire to be changed for Jesus Christ far outweighs the discomfort that any confrontation the Word brings to my heart ever does. I love Him with all my heart. Jesus is wonderful and He only has good things planned for you. And He gives us His living Word to search us, to sift us, to seek us out, and to reveal as a mirror does the truth of where we stand today with Jesus with our lives, and any changes that he may be leading us to make. The power to convict is in the seed. The capacity for growth is in the seed. And the ability to bring transformation is also in the seed. You see, it's the love of Jesus, and I'll close with this, that compels us to make the changes we need to make for Him. The Gospel, it asks us for a changed life. It does not allow us to remain unchanged in our worldliness or carnal behavior. And the love of Jesus is so powerful and so strong. He's so wonderful, so amazing so loving, so forgiving, so gracious that anything He wants for me, I want for myself. And anything He doesn't want for me, I need to be quick to dismiss in my life. Folks, I just wonder, I'd ask you to think about this as we close. If you don't have a desire to change 
things in your life that need to change. If you feel lukewarm or indifferent, let's say. I wonder, I would just ask, have you really laid eyes on Jesus? Because when you see Him for who He is, and the forgiveness and the purpose in life that He offers, as James is asserting here, a life that is willing to change, that leads to change and transformation. Those things really are inseparable from the Word of God truly getting into our hearts. I'm going to pray tonight. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me. And I want you to think about, where am I at with Jesus? Have I welcomed Him in? Have I opened up my heart, humbled myself, let go of my own will and desires that I might lay hold of His for me? Have I surrendered so that I might attain something greater? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He is the one who brings us eternal life. There's nothing great to be found outside of Him. But He will offer our lives to be filled with meaning and purpose when we welcome Him in. If you say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus tonight. I'm ready to open up my heart to Him. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Just pray this prayer. Let it be the intention of your heart. Mean business with God. And the Bible tells us that when we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. Say, dear Father God, I give my life to you. I lay down my will, Lord, that I might lay hold of yours for me. I ask that you would forgive me of all the things, God, in my life and in my past that I've done that are not consistent with who you've called me to be. Lord, let your precious forgiveness wash me clean. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might be born again and made a new creation in you, Jesus. Lead me and guide me. Empower me to be able to walk out all the things that you've created me for. I can't do it without you. Lord, would you give me a tender heart to receive your word with meekness? Lord, would you continue to bring my desires more and more into alignment with your desires? And would you produce a great harvest through my life? In Jesus' name, amen.